We're going to continue our study of Ecclesiastes today. If you want to turn there, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It will be up here behind me. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I mentioned last week that as we shift from, as we go from chapter 6 to chapter 7, that there's a, a shift, there's a change. In chapter 7, we have a lot of proverb-type sayings, these, these proverbial statements that we see in chapter 7 that, that we kind of are sprinkled elsewhere, but pretty much all of chapter 7 is this way. And so the, there's kind of a shift in focus. And we cannot forget that throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon is, is describing two things. He is comparing a life apart from God, a life for earthly things, on earth for earthly things, what he keeps saying, under the sun, or a, a life with God. And we're going to see that again this morning. Now, he's going to talk this morning, and it's going to seem like he's telling us to have a balanced life. Now, how many times have you heard that in our culture, right? It's all about finding balance in life. Well, the fact that our culture says that should be a warning sign to you, because that's not how God says what did Jesus say? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, so Jesus talks about a life of focus, not a life of balance. And Solomon's going to seem to talk about balance, but we're going to see even Solomon admits that it's a life of focus that makes a difference. And so let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're just going to read verses 15 through 18. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, from that, withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out of both of them. So it sounds like he's talking about focus, and he starts out by talking about something that, that we constantly say, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. We see it consistently. We see it seems like sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are, bad things still happen to you. And it doesn't matter how bad you are, good things still happen to you. It just doesn't seem like any of it's fair. Life doesn't seem fair. And Solomon's kind of addressed this a little bit back in verse 14. He said that on the day of prosperity, rejoice. And on the day of difficulty, remember God has made them both. So he's told us that, that both good and, and difficult come to us for our benefit. We are, he, he is forming us into the image of Christ. And so we as believers in Christ can understand that, that the good and the difficult come for a purpose. They're for a purpose that builds us. They're for, for a purpose that matters for us. So we can see that, yet we still sometimes ask the question that, that Solomon asks. Why is life? so unfair. 
But I think there's a couple of things we have to consider. The first is our viewpoint. Take a moment to think about life from somebody else's viewpoint. There was a philosopher that said, if you want to know what life is about, talk to a four-year-old and an 84-year-old. That will give you a totally different perspective on your life. Think about, we, we, we see the children in here. Think about life from their viewpoint. Life is a party. Life is awesome. We miss that. We, we, we tend to look only at life through our own perspective. Sometimes we need to back up and take another perspective on, on what life is. And that brings up kind of the second problem, and that is we are selfish beings. We see everything from how it affects us. We look at life and, and, think, and only really look at what life is doing to us and for us. We are selfish beings. We have been since Adam and Eve. I think selfishness is the original sin. And I think all sin has selfishness as its root. Adam and Eve selfishly made a choice that all of us would have made. And we still today live selfish lives. So I think we need to understand our selfishness and we need to understand our perspective. And then I want to give you a different perspective. Was life fair to Jesus? Was life fair to Jesus? Was it fair for him to come from heaven to this ball of dust and be treated the way we treated him? To be beaten and scorned, to be hung on a cross for our sins. Do you think any of that sounds fair? Jesus didn't come to make life God knew life wasn't going to be fair as soon as sin came into the world. God knew life was not going to be fair anymore. So Jesus didn't come to make life fair. He came to give us God's perspective on life. He came to die in our place and give us a different perspective on life. We now see, can see life through God's eyes when we read what Jesus said and did. And then he talks about righteousness, Solomon does. And he seems to say that there's too much, that, that too much right, righteousness is a bad thing. Why would too much righteousness be a bad thing? Well, remember, Solomon is talking about life apart from God. So this is a, a, a righteousness that you yourself make. And what does self-made righteousness become? Legalism and self-righteousness, doesn't it? Legalism and self-righteousness is where self-made righteousness goes. Jesus considered, or, or Jesus constantly confronted the, the Pharisees about this very topic, that they were self-righteous and legal, legalistic. They thought if we kept the rules, we keep the laws, then we're righteous. Now, I want you to, to think through that process theologically. Walk with me through this. If, if it's about my effort to keep the law and the rules, why did Jesus die? If it's about what I can do, then why do I need Jesus at all? As a matter of fact, if I'm working on my own righteousness, I don't even need God anymore. 
I just need the law and the rules, right? You can see the problem that self-made righteousness becomes. And so that's what Solomon says is a bad thing. There, it, it clearly is too much of this. There already is too much of this in our world. We understand as believers in Christ, we understand that, that our righteousness comes only from Christ, that he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Uh, Romans 1.17 says that, that we are made righteous by faith, not by works, not by what we do, not by our effort to keep the law and the rules and the stuff. By faith in Christ, we are made righteous. So we understand righteousness as coming from Christ and that we have none apart from Christ. Solomon says that, that, that too much righteousness, too much self-made righteousness is bad, and it indeed is. We understand that. If we think we are righteous, we might have a problem. We must know we're righteous in Christ and in Christ alone. Otherwise, we may have a self-righteous problem. And then he talks about wickedness. And he says, don't be overly wicked. Don't be overly wicked. Does it mean that we can be kind of wicked? Is he giving us permission to be kind of wicked? The fact that we ask that question, and I know it wasn't just me. The fact that we ask that question proves our wickedness, doesn't it? Because we, we just want, we want that loophole, right? I don't want to be overly wicked, but I don't want to, but, but, but a little wickedness, you know, that's okay. That's what Solomon says, right? No, that's not actually what he says. The word overly means to multiply or increase or reproduce. So he's not saying don't be overly wicked. Be a little wicked, but not overly. He says not to increase it, not to reproduce it, not to multiply wickedness. And, and the word wickedness literally means guilty and condemned. So what we must understand is who we are apart from Christ. Because apart from Christ, we are wicked. We are guilty and we are condemned. Now, I know we, we tend not to, to talk this way. We tend not to think about, well, when you say wicked, I think of Hitler or Mussolini or Jeffrey Dahmer. I think of the, those kind of, those, those folks are wicked. I'm not. The problem with that line of thinking is, theologically, we must understand that we are capable of everything Hitler and Mussolini and Jeffrey Dahmer did. We are entirely capable of. And until we understand we are entirely capable of it, we don't understand our need for Christ. Because only in Christ is our wickedness dealt with. Only in Christ can we be wiped free from our wickedness. So Solomon isn't saying we can be a little wicked, but not too much. He is saying that we are wicked. As a matter of fact, the, uh, there was a Jewish... Uh, rabbi that wrote this. He said, a man that fears God is humble, renounces his own righteousness, distrusts his own wisdom, and fears his own wickedness. That's who we are apart from Christ. That's our wickedness. 
So if you don't consider yourself wicked, guilty, condemned, apart from Christ, you might have a self-righteousness problem. We are indeed wicked and guilty and condemned apart from Christ. That's who we are. So we need Christ. We need Jesus, the righteousness he gives us for our wickedness. And then Solomon really narrows in here when he said, when he talks in verse 15 about the one who fears God. He says, it is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. In other words, work at this. If you're going to work at anything, work at this. The one who fears God shall come from both of them. The one who fears God comes from both of them. Comes from self-righteousness to true righteousness in Christ. Comes from wickedness to fully righteous, sinless in Christ. The one who fears God comes from both of them. Consider the argument that, that Solomon's already given us. He has said that the good and the difficult come for our good. They come with a purpose in our life, sent by God. He's told us that we have this God-shaped space in us that can only be filled by Him. Nothing else will ever satisfy it, only Him. He designed us for fellowship with Him. And, and anything apart from fellowship with Him is not going to satisfy. God knew this world would not be fair once sin entered it. He knew from Genesis chapter 3 that the, that the world was no longer going to be fair. Life was not going to be fair. But what did he do? Did he send us an enforcement agency for, for all the stuff we think is wrong? He gave us the sense of justice that we have. So did he, he give us some sort of enforcement agent to, to take care of all this stuff that we consider to be wrong? No. He, came, he gave us himself. He gave us himself. He knew it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to Jesus either. He gave us himself. And as I said before, Jesus didn't come to make the world fair. He came show us God's perspective on life. He came to die in our place for our sin to give us an opportunity to be righteous, to have our wickedness wiped away and to be righteous. I said that, that God, we have this God-shaped space in all of us uh, from, from Ecclesiastes 3.11 says we have eternity in our hearts, this God-shaped space. God made us for fellowship with him. He made this space in us that is only satisfied when we have him. And then he came to us so we couldn't miss that opportunity. We don't have to spend life searching for God. He came here searching for you, searching for me. He found us gave himself to us. So it's not about balance. It's not about trying to balance righteousness and, and wickedness. It's about focus. As I said earlier, Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33. 
He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Life is about focus. The people that have changed the world have been focused, not balanced. Solomon's not telling us to be balanced either. He's talking about those that live apart from God, this life apart from God, and trying to balance wickedness and righteousness, and then the one who fears God comes out from both. Solomon's telling us what Jesus told us. Live a life focused on God. Focused on who God is. Focused on who we are apart from God. So put your hand to this, as, as, as Solomon said. His righteousness, his, his, his truth in our life. Our wickedness wiped away. Our self-righteousness broken. True righteousness in Christ. That's what's offered. Are you truly righteous in Christ? You understand your need for Christ. You understand that apart from Christ, you are desperately wicked, as Jeremiah said. Desperately wicked. Because apart from Christ, that's who you are. Do you understand your need for Christ? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. And just consider that question. Do you understand your need for Christ? Because once you grasp your need for Christ, your true wickedness, your true guilt and condemnation, then, then you can turn to Christ and give him all of it. And he will give you righteousness in its place. He will make you right with God. It's a simple prayer. You can just say it along with me. In your own words, just say, God, I know I have sin and wickedness in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. I am evil in word and deed and thought. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. He died to save me. So I ask you to take my sin and give me the righteousness of Christ. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you can let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Let them know. Let somebody know. Maybe this morning you, you, you realize over the past week you've been living in your power, your strength, your righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ. You take a moment right now and settle that with God. Father, we thank you for just your word. We thank you that we have the righteousness of Christ. That we don't look to live a balanced life, trying to balance the scales of righteousness and wickedness. We focus, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to live focused lives. We ask it.